everybody welcome 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 to another episode of staring into the sun hey man i'm here with my brother i'm like i feel like i'm waving to everybody hello everybody there's this new element of video now you all are seeing my face for this is our maiden voyage of us people getting video. to see the beauty right. that is Robbie Staring Gibson. The <laughs> <laughs> I've totally hijacked the intro, but that's, that's right. just what's going to happen because yes. there's video. <laughs> so, so you <laughs> can see us. See you. Yeah, Yay! we are two brothers. Uh, one, a pastor, uh, Pastor John Gibson. My brother is hailing from Ohio, and uh, the other, a psychologist. I'm Dr. Rob Gibson, and uh, we we uh, aim in these uh, times to uh, talk about matters of the head and the heart. My brother calls it the beautiful collision of head and heart. Yes. And yes. Uh, th- there's things to be found there that we think are useful to you in your personal growth, your spiritual growth. Um, uh, we bring to bear both of our perspectives and, and also have a fun time doing it. So thanks for joining us. While you're here, just a few logistics, please subscribe to the podcast. Listen to it. Subscribe. Share it with other people. Subscribe. Yes. Hit the subscribe Click button. This link here. Yes, that's right. Interact, <laughs> interact with us on socials. I'm at, at Dr. Robert Gibson on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We also have Staring Into the Sun on Facebook and Instagram. You can ask us questions there. You can engage with us. And uh, now on YouTube. So uh, thank you for joining. Hit the subscribe button and share it with other people. So, all right. Yeah. Here we are, man. What are we talking about today? I know we got something. Well, it's not new. We we just kind of wrapped up uh, conversations with um, each other, but from questions from our listeners, which was really good. And uh, I had I actually got a lot from it and was encouraged by it. And I got a lot of feedback from uh, folks who are subscribers, listen listeners that enjoy that. So we're gonna. I, I think we're gonna kind of jump off of that a little bit today, aren't we? Just we, uh, we just quote, did that. Right? Yeah, well, we just did the episode. If you didn't get to watch it, go back and listen or watch it. Go back and listen to it. I'm going to get my things mixed up now because we're uh, live on video. But go back and listen to it. We talked about like oppositional realities in culture um, where how do we kind of break out of this tribalism, seeing other people who think differently, look differently, believe differently, fill in the blank, who are different than us as villain or enemy. And how do we kind of break that cycle in our world? It's super relevant today, you know, in our world and the culture around us and things going on with Ukraine and Russia and just things going on politically here in the in the States and COVID. I mean, it's just... You know, just, uh-huh. <laughs> burn those Harry Potter books right now. Yes. <laughs> but, but yeah, so so I happened. It was out of the uh, that conversation we just did. Um, I'm reading a book that you can actually see right now backwards for you. But Thomas Merton, I don't know if you can see that. I'll post it in the yeah, show notes. Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk. Um, actually, he died in the 50s. Tragically, um, a, a what monk? What? He's a Trappist monk. So what? Trappist monks, and you correct me if I'm wrong, um, and I'll get some more information. Basically, they they set aside all of their worldly possessions in order to pursue relationship with God. So they live in monasteries. Oh. That actually where Thomas Merton lived was based out of was a. Uh, Oh, the monastery's name is escaping me, but it's right in Kentucky. It's not far from Ohio oh. here, where I live. Okay, uh, the something of Gethsemane or something like that. Anyway. 
um, he spent his life uh, as a contem- uh, contemplative, uh, just pursuing God and relationship with God and helping others pursue relationship with God. Well, this book is his autobiography story of he, uh, that he wrote about his life called The Seven-Story Mountain. And I happened upon a little quote here that I want to read for us today that I, I hope will kind of maybe spark some conversation. I know you have some things that you've been thinking about, too, uh, in the outflow of our most recent mm-hmm. podcast. But it says this. Um, and he's talking about some other things um, in his own life, his in- engagement with communism and and the realities of the differences in his world and his culture when he lived. Um, but so I'm, I'm just kind of pulling this quote out because I think it's relevant to us today. It says, however, if you are wrong, does that make me right? And if you are bad, does that prove that I am good? And I was read, just reading his autobiography, and I like my brakes stopped mm-hmm. when I read that quote because I thought, "Oh man, to me that just puts a finger right on what I feel like oftentimes happens when we encounter people who are who think differently, believe differently, look differently than us." There's this assumption that happens right off that I think he hits right on the head is that it's not just that you're different. It's that my perception is you're wrong. And if my perception is you're wrong, then I equally assume that I am in fact, right. Mm. Which I I don't think is always a correct assumption (laughs) or, and he kind of takes it one step further. If you're bad, like, so we, we are really good in our culture at villainizing other people and sometimes rightly so, but we, and we see this in, in uh, the world of nations and empires, all of hmm. all the most of the time, the other is bad, which makes our assumption then that we're good. So the the activities that we're doing, we justify because God is with us, or uh, we, we justify our actions because we're good, and the the enemy is evil. And we read about this in the news with what's going on hmm. with Russia and Ukraine. Russia. Hmm. And the the government, the authorities there, from their perspective and what they're sharing to their country is that they're good and the West is bad uh, and and us vice versa. I think that's an interesting thing that maybe we could talk about today, this reality when somebody, we perceive them wrong, we assume we're right, or we perceive them as bad, we assume that we're good. I think that's interesting. Yeah, I was thinking, I came across, and I don't... I don't know exactly where this is. I think it's in a George Orwell essay or something like that. I heard it in another podcast I listened to. And uh, he was speaking to the climate during World War II. And essentially he was saying, like, if you think that everybody is primarily motivated by, like, mutual success and, like, a kind of like a, a utopian feel, like, I, I want everybody around me to have resources and me to have resources. He's like, you're way off. There's something inside of us that really longs for something to fight for, an enemy to seek out and destroy, um, to be on the right side of history, to you know to sacrifice for something. Uh, there's this uh, you might call it a religious instinct or something like our tribal instinct. Like there's there's something in us that really is inspired by like pointing out good and bad. 
and I think you you know you can see that. I, I don't know here here in the West we might think oh we have you know we have representative democracies we're above that and it's like well what do you think happens every four years when we elect our next king you <laughs> right know? oh my gosh and, and more and more we we villainize uh, opposite political parties right it's it's no longer mm-hmm. about your positions mm-hmm. or the the things in which you think how the country should be run now it's good and it's, it is good and bad it's it's good and evil even this yeah. this villainy and heroism that happens with even our elected officials is yeah a product like the, of that reality yeah right? the prophetic movie which is the minority report you know oh, geez, right. <laughs> everybody when you think prophetic <laughs> movies you think tom cruise and minority report but i <laughs> <laughs> i think about this a lot actually it's is something like i'm going to use your idea or um you know something like that to predict future evil future violence you know someone who holds this idea or who propagates this statement actually down the road i can predict future violence and i think this also this happens in religious experience whether you talk about the secular religion of our current politics or whether you talk about the like the uh, traditional religions where something like you know well this idea that uh you know this thing is okay actually leads to your eternal damnation and you might actually bring other people to hell with you so i'm going to bring that all the way back to this idea that you've got wrong and then it gives me a lot of a lot of reason to see you as wrong and then me as right you as bad and me as good because who who doesn't want to live in eternal paradise and be the one on the right side of history and even if i have to crush you to do it and and really the reality is who doesn't want to be right <laughs> I think there's some kind of like <laughs> some powerful justification that really I I believe it speaks it, it like speaks into our identity right because rightness means rightness you know it means my world is good it means I'm better than you it means uh, mm-hmm. I, it means a whole lot of things but it comes back to that reality that we we just love to be right. And anything that threatens, and I think that's why over history humans have this tendency to always kind of group up with the same pe- with the same people who think the same way of the same ideas, so that they can keep telling one another they're right. I, I read a quote uh, in another book. I can't remember the title of it, but it says if enough if enough people uh, believe a lie is truth, then it becomes truth. Like if you have enough people saying yeah. the same thing to one another, yes. yeah. it doesn't matter if it's true or false. It just becomes true because enough people around you believe the same thing, you know? Yeah, and so is, we even co-op yeah. truth. We, we transform yeah. our, the ideas that we have into our rightness and yeah. which puts everybody else in this place. I, that was an interesting yeah. idea. You kind of talked about touching back Rob is the, this, human nature where we love to be a part of causes and uh, that's what i kind of felt like you were talking about like we love to to have things that oppose us so that we can fight for something or be a part of something Uh, i I think you're right on i i do think though that that something about that inherent need to be a part of something bigger than ourselves has been distorted from what I believe maybe God originally intended in us. Uh, I do think we have a desire in deep inside of us as humans to be, to belong to something else, to be a part of something else, something bigger than ourselves to fight, like to fight or put our energy or our lives to something. And yet uh, very easily that can become distorted and we can justify acts of violence and all kinds of other brokenness 
I guess what I'm saying is I think that's there's something inherently good about that too. We're not. I don't know. I don't think you were saying even necessarily that that's necessarily a bad thing, other than what sometimes can come out of it. Yeah, yeah. I think that. I mean, I was just thinking of practical examples. You know, like when when you come across somebody treating somebody terribly or committing violence, or you know, when we're outraged by you know rape or sexual assault or something like that. Like it, I I don't know. I'm trying to think through why that's in us, but I, I mean, I think certainly a part of it is it helps us. It helps us orient ourselves to like what really matters and what's valuable and and I think also um, man maybe it's wrapped up in us also trying to uh, care for our own value um, but I, I I I keep thinking about like when you said distorted like I I thought of uh, George Orwell earlier he. He has, you know, and, and I think Rage Against the Machine takes this line from them, too, which is like who controls the who controls the peasant present controls the past and who controls the past controls the future. And it's like who controls what is true has control over everything. And that's like, I think, an inherently safe place to be. Um, but I think it's not just about safety. We don't just want safety. We want to feel like we're doing something good. Um, and, and I'd, I'd like to hear you speak to that maybe from a spiritual perspective, but I think from a psychological one, it's, I mean, I think it's, we definitely get internal feedback when we are making sacrifices for the benefit of somebody else. Now we might think we're making a sacrifice and actually it's not true, right? It doesn't actually benefit them. It actually makes them more miserable or we're wrong or something like that. Like the truth matters, but I think we really feel good when we sacrifice for the good of someone else. Like, I think that's internally rewarding, but you think it's like, it's from, I don't know. uh, Yeah. Like a a spiritual principle or from God or. Right. The first thing comes to mind is I think why that's so, why that can be problematic, especially in our world today is because truth has become so subjective you know, yes, we do want to stand for truth. Yes, we will fight for things that we, we do think are true. Yet we live in a culture and a world today where nobody knows what's true, you know, and everybody and truth, it, truth becomes just what you decide it to be, which I think everybody just knows what's true, right? It's yeah, the but it's their own version, right? And it, it incites even more violence and even more villainism. Is that even a word? Even more villainy because we we are we're so quick to draw lines of because my my truth is just my truth and your truth is your truth and and then we fight over those things and we we don't have common ground and we don't even have a place to be able to have conversation with one another to move ourselves towards being better either and i think that's one of the things that i really am i, I find myself being sad about in our culture today is the reality that the what is happening, what this, this kind of thing we're talking about has created is a, is a reality where we can't ever engage in conversations with someone who believes opposite of us Mm. and have a mutual interest in being better, you know, Mm. or, yeah. And I don't know what, what's going on. And maybe that's something else to talk about here in a second, but, um, you know, back to your question, if you think about it, and this has happened throughout human history, so this isn't unique to our time, this desire to be a part of something bigger than yourself, to to be co-opted into a greater purpose for the purpose of feeling like you're grouped together with who's right, 
because like you said, oftentimes who's right is in who's is who's in power or who has provision within a culture or within a time period. And, and we're fighting over those resources of, of rightness and the privileges that come with it. But I, but I think you can look back all throughout human history and, and see people's desire to give their lives to some greater purpose. Now, why do we get, again, the distortion I kind of talked about was the why behind our, our motivation to be a part of something bigger. So I believe, I do believe that, that we were created as humans for, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And I believe this comes from how God made us in the beginning. If you go back and read in the book of Genesis, God created all things, created the, the heavens and the earth, all creation burst forth, and he put man and woman, created man and woman to be a part of that creation, to be stewards of creation. So to be brought in and then co-opted for this purpose of mutual flourishing. And I, I think that was God's intention uh, in the beginning was for us to be in mutual giving relationship or mutual emptying where we're giving ourselves to for the betterment of someone else's flourishing. So this this give and take is happening in creation. And, and I think all throughout human history, that inherently is in us. We, we feel an urge to give ourselves to something bigger than ourselves. And I think inherently to give ourselves to the betterment of our family, whether it's my kids or my wife, my, 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 like my small tribe or my bigger tribe to give myself for the protection of my tribe. I mean, go back and look in human history. We, we organize ourselves in units and this, this tribal kind of organization because we want to take care of one another. We want to keep one another safe. And, and we believe from the Christian tradition that something happened to that mutual interest of flourishing where sin entered the world and created brokenness, which, which I believe was the beginning of that distortion I kind of referenced, that something broke in us to, that co-opted our desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves or to, to give ourselves to the flourishing of others. And instead, once we draw the lines of who's in our circle— who I'm giving myself to, right? So my my family, friends, the people who look like me, think like me, I'm giving myself to their flourishing to, and to their safety and protection. But if something threatens that, or I perceive something to threaten that, then I am willing to do whatever it takes in order to protect protect that. And I think that mm-hmm. that violent moving in of, of other, the, mm-hmm. and really even the reality of other in general. I think if you go back to Eden and what God intends for us is that there is no other. There is just creation and humanity working for the betterment of one another. But mm-hmm. sin, I, I think sin separated this divide and it created other mm-hmm. in a very real way. It created otherness between God and humanity and also between humanity's brothers and sisters. We Now, we, now mm-hmm. there is other and there's someone I can fear, someone that will threaten me, which creates divides and tension. And yeah. When I think, yeah, I, I hear you. Like on the one side, you have this, you know, this Eden which is like this land of uh, mutual giving where you realize that there's a synergistic effect of collaboration. Like we we're better when we sacrifice and mutually benefit each other. Um, And actually I think, I think maybe that's something that's being clear geopolitically now is, you know, this belief for decades that, you know, we had solved the problems of the cold war and that we could have this interconnected economy and everything could mutually flourish not realizing that there's the other side, which is, uh, you know, the exile from Eden or whatever you want to call it, but like the, you know, the potential for malice and deception and evil, right? 
then puts us in a position where we can't just openly collaborate with everyone. We have to account for the possibility that somebody is going to wish us harm. And I think you might see that externally geopolitically, but I think also just in our human relationships, you see that where the potential that you're going to cause me harm create like leads to the scenario where I might not be as open and I actually might be looking for ways, as Merton says, where you're wrong so that I can be right, you're bad so that I can be good. Um, because sometimes like there is actual bad, right? And I think, I think this is a real problem in the church and in our culture where we've, we've staked our claim on certain lines of, you know, outside of this line, you're bad inside of this line you're good and i don't think that's completely off because there's the potential for malice and destruction and, and deceit and evil but man i think we've been pretty like pretty fundamentalist about it um to the exclusion of of what you're talking about which is we're closing ourselves off to people and if you look at the current church people are leaving you know it's it's like you know take take any polarizing issue right now like for example um the issue of sexuality and you know you know can can somebody who is uh who is gay or lesbian can they be baptized in your church right you know are they welcome to come and encounter jesus in your church or are you saying no you're not welcome unless you do this and this because if you have this idea that that's okay that's going to contaminate my belief system and then it's going to lead to damnation and death and all of those things. And you can see that operating. And I'm not saying I know exactly what the right answer is. I just see this church struggling with it. And what usually happens for me is someone comes into my office and saying, well, I can't talk to my pastor because this is what I'm getting. And I don't know what to do with all this. I want to be close to Jesus, but I'm also experiencing this internally. How, how do I wrestle with that? Yeah. And uh, I think this this issue of seeing you, you you bad me good you wrong me right means that I could never have an, have a relationship with someone like that. And therapy at its best is a relationship of transformation. I uh, that, that's like a, a shameless yeah, plug to one post. of my recent yeah. tweets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I saw what you did there. <laughs> well, well, at church here where I pastor, Living Hope Church at elivinghope.com. dot <laughs> com. If we're Shameless doing that, plug. yeah, no, right. Plug. Uh, no, so what? <laughs> so a few things. Again, that's this is such a mm. huge conversation, and it is a, a deep, a deeply rooted problem. Not in the not. And here's the thing, too. I don't think this is it is again unique to our time. This is a deeply okay. human problem. I yeah. think is what we're connecting to here. Now we see it playing out in the church because because I think some of these topics like sexuality and um, other things, I mean, even p our political stance is, is mm -hmm. now being, it, we're, we're kind of determining lines good and, and evil. Ins, ins and outs and good and evil and who God is with and who God is not, you know, and mm -hmm. I, even, even down to, and I hesitate to say it, but I, I, I even read that God, when people post like God is behind Ukraine, like God is doing certain things to, yes, God stands for the oppressed, but, but I think any time and human and and I'm and I'm I'm not saying what side God is on with the whole Ukraine Russian thing. I think God is but, on the side of the oppressed and the, God is on the side of the the wounded. And so just to clarify, uh -huh. but what I think is happening here is, and we again throughout human history, what we as humans like to do is 
is draw defined lines so that we can determine what's right and wrong, really with the underlying motivation to manipulate what's right and wrong. If, mm-hmm. if I can determine clear lines, and, and a lot of times I come in and I, I set those clear lines to be biased towards where I already am. And, and we do this all throughout human history. I mean, look at, I mean, just from a biblical perspective, the Jewish people were like geniuses at d- drawing lines. They, they had like hundreds and hundreds of them. You know, they, they took what they perceived God said and, and they drew lines with them. Now, you know, and they had the, the law. And then we had the, this extension from the law of all this, the pharisaical law, the, uh, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things that you did to, that you followed in order to, to not do these certain things. And, and we like to draw lines because they're clear, they're black and white for us, and they, they define for us who is good and who isn't. Which but I think it has and, its value. It does, right? Because mm-hmm. the, we want to be able to know what's right and wrong. And here's kind of the point I was getting at. I think anytime we start to draw those lines, we forget the reality that inherently humanity is wrong right now. But we in the the church and other religions like to particularly black and white define what is in and what is out. Mm. And in that in that activity, we forget that I believe we are inherently all out without something very important. And this is close to my heart because because I think again too we think that our salvation is found or our rescue or rightness is found in being right. Right, so if I define certain things in my life that are are in this place that this is good, this is right, then I can live here and feel like my life is justified. And I, if I'm a religious person, then I'll go to heaven or whatever you equate doing the right things for. But the message of Jesus over and over and over again is not do these right things. It's come follow me. That's it. And people found their transformation and there's a whole i mean the, the whole of israel if you go and read the scriptures spent hundreds of years trying to be right and yet it led them nowhere other than to exile destruction brokenness despair and being under the thumb of rulers of the world because they desired to be right and they thought that was their salvation and they even missed uh, many of them even missed the rescue line that god was sending them because they thought the right like doing the right things was the answer instead of what I believe is the answer to this whole so, question is pursuing so Jesus, me, right? Yes. Let me, let me do devil's advocate here. So that's easily gameable, right? So I have the right understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And here are the rules and the guidelines for that. Like I could just see how easily that gets slotted into orthodoxy again of like, well, if you're not following Jesus in this way, then you're out. Like when when you say Jesus says, come follow me, like it. And and as it relates to this being good and being bad, like like how did how this is a, a good question, I think, for our listeners is how did Jesus approach issues like this? in his day. When you say follow Jesus, well, what did Jesus do? <laughs> That's a good question. And the the good news is we can read about that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, at least as, as Christ followers, as Christians, we believe that the Bible shows us a picture. Uh, now, sometimes we've co-opted the Bible to become uh, things that it's not meant to be. And I think when we, when we read it with a, a lens of, I'm going to read all of scripture 
uh, and look for Jesus in the midst of it, and specifically in his life, we, we yeah, we have, uh, I believe we have a picture of what life following after him looks like and what life not following after him looks like. I mean, there's example after example of, of people who were following him doing dumb stuff, you know, and like not, not living the way God wanted him. You know, I, I mean, for one example, like, they're getting ready to arrest Jesus in the garden before the whole culmination of, of why Jesus came to the earth. And, and they're getting ready to arrest him. And what do, do his closest disciples do? They react in violence because Jesus was right. He was their ticket to the restoration mm-hmm. of Israel because they, they continually missed they where Jesus was. Yeah, they thought the mm-hmm. kingdom meant, hey, you're here to be our king and to overthrow Rome and on and on. They, they continually missed what Jesus was trying to tell them. And they whacked some, the, the guard's ear off. They reacted in violence because they had to protect their rightness. And the people arresting Jesus were bad and they were good. And what's Jesus's response? This is so profound. Jesus reaches to enemy, to his enemy, who's who's going to arrest him and take him where he knows he's going to go. And what does he do? He reaches down, and and I think this is really significant. He doesn't just say, "I'm sorry" to this poor guard who just had his ear lopped off. He he, in a mystical, divine way, supernaturally restores this man who is his enemy. I mean, and over and over, Jesus gives us examples of this, of what it looks like to follow him, what it looks like to pursue him, and how our lives are transformed in that pursuing. You know, the disciple who lopped off Jesus's ear, what, what, was, his, what was his encounter in that same moment? He reacted in violence. This is not the way of Jesus. This is wrong. You, you reacted in violence, but you believed it was right. Let me show you what following me really looks like. It means going to enemy. It means bending down and and restoring and i don't to translate in that in our world today you know just this uh two weeks ago we were talking at living hope about the whole crisis in ukraine and russia and we had a prayer time for the russian people and we had a prayer time for those who were oppressed and then we put up a picture of president vladimir putin on the screen and not one that that is portrayed by our media, right? If you, you look almost every picture that we see in, in American, American culture is these pictures of the scowling, villainized Vladimir Putin. And I'm not justifying what Vladimir Putin did, but as Christ followers, and what I think it means to, to, to um, identify with the brokenness of humanity, we put up a picture of Vladimir Putin where he was smiling. He was with a group of people. He, he didn't look evil. And we said, we recognize that as Christ followers, this is hard, but Jesus invites us to pray for our enemy, to identify that we are as broken in our lives as Vladimir Putin is in his thinking. And as Christ followers, we want to pray that God would reach his heart because mm-hmm. he matters to God as much as you matter to God. Yeah. That's tough. I know that's hard because we want our lines, right? We want Vladimir Putin's bad. He's evil. He ought to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. Now he ought to, he ought to have, you know, consequences justice. for his actions and justice should happen, mm-hmm. but he still matters mm-hmm. to God his, and his story matters to God. And that, that's hard for us, right? And we cringe. We go, ah, I just want him to be villain enemy. I don't want to even see him as a person really. Well, the, and then we might do that with our neighbors yeah. or with, with somebody who might come to our church with a different view on something than us. And uh, I, I think that makes me think of this, um, 
this psychological defense from psychoanalytic theory called projection, where, you know, I, I take, I take the darkness that's in me that I know is there and it's ugly. And, and this is why we love movies with good villains. Um, some of it is because we like to identify with the hero, but it's also because it puts our inner villains on display, like what we're capable of, how we're capable of treating people. Uh, one of my favorite song lyrics is from Sufjan Stevens about John Wayne Gacy. And he, he has this part where he says, if you look underneath the floorboards of my house, under there, you'll see the secrets I have hid. And you'll see that I'm not that much different than him. He actually says, yeah. you'll see wow. that I'm just like him. It's yeah. this beautiful poetic statement of I'm just like him. And what we do is we take this darkness inside of ourselves. And instead of looking at it and reckoning with it, we, we will project it and see it on other people. We'll seek it out actively in other people. And then we'll go after it, right? We'll attack it. Like it's, it's so easy to, to put somebody like Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping or, you know, uh, you know Hitler or Stalin and say, oh, there's evil personified and I can be a victorious over it. But what happens is, is then we ignore the darkness within us. I mean, the, the greatest examples I can think of this are, you know, like, you know, the pastors that will on TV or whatever rail against um, same sex uh, sexual activity. And then later it's found that they were secretly engaging in it themselves. Right. And it's and, and that would be projection. Right. And and the path in therapy would be, OK, I could spend all my time looking at how I'm a victim and how the world is wrong. And the, OK, that warrants some compassion because people have been victimized. And the, the path to transformation that Jesus would call us to is not to violence, right? Not to destroying other people, because what what good is it if we just continue perpetuating what's been done to us? It's not fair. So I'm not saying it's fair, but what good is it if we continue to perpetuate hell, right? The path that I think you were saying Jesus calls us to is, well, man, you, you want to love your enemy because guess what's within you? The Absolutely. same thing that's in them. And uh, the, the path out of this, of you good, me good, you bad, is, I, th I think you said it right, is we are, we all have darkness within us and we're all capable of terrible things. And the way that the world gets better is if we start with looking inwardly at the ways that we can change, and then also using that to remember that the people around us, um, like to treat them with charity because uh, what's in them is, is within us too. It brings my mind, and maybe this could be a good. I think this is a two-part episode, and there's a lot of okay. a lot that we can talk about. But I want I want to give you a thought, Robin. I'm curious what you think about it. That mm -hmm. I was thinking about um, when you were talking. It is right before Jesus's time uh, going to the cross. He finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he's got his disciples with him. He says, "Hey, hang out here. I'm going to go pray." And he goes off and prays. And we have this whole scene of Jesus crying out to the Father and and coming back and this sweating blood. And the, it's like this cosmic event where, where all of evil and God are, are going at it. And God is, is working to set us free from the human condition, which is brokenness, the, re the reality of sin in the world. And I, I think that whole scene for me uh, is, is transplanted into how Jesus teaches us to pray. 
And he, and he tells his disciples, like, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who have trespassed against us. And then this final line that I, uh, that connects me to this scene in the garden, uh, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we, we have a, a common misunderstanding, I think, with that last line of the Lord's Prayer. That it, it doesn't actually mean lead us not into temptation. You know, because God, we don't, we shouldn't have to pray for God not to lead us to temptation, right? So that's not really what God's getting at with that section of the prayer. It, it's really better translated. And Lord, lead us not into the great testing, but deliver us from evil. And it harkens back to this image of the, in the garden where Jesus is going and, and encountering this cosmic battle. And he keeps coming back to his disciples who he said to pray with him. And what do they do? If you know the story, they all fell asleep. They're like sawn logs and they're stressed, you know, because everything going on, they just can't handle it. And Jesus keeps coming back. And, and he, this, re, this reality is, is showing that we are not, as humans, we are not capable of winning this cosmic battle of good and evil. Yet, so often we are working to. And uh, it's co-opted in this reality of arms. Yes, we do, because yeah. we want to be right and we gotta fight evil. And that's why we so passionately stand for the things that we believe are right. Because we what we believe is that all of heaven and earth are at stake. And and we have to defend God and we have to we have to make sure and defend his honor and all these things. And yet God reminds us in this beautiful prayer that he invites us to pray all the time together and to end with this statement, Lord, lead us not into the great testing because we are we're not we're not capable of winning this fight. You Mm -hmm. are and you have. So help us not to live our lives trying to stand up for you, but to instead Pray fervently, God, deliver us from evil because mm. the world is full of evil and evil is impacting us and distorting who we are meant to be as humans, distorting creation. And we, we ought to be like crying out to the Lord, all of us. Mm. Of, and this is, this is inherently, I think, one of the big problems is that we forget back to that central idea of what we've kind of hit on today, that we forget that we, there, we all have that in us. Like yeah. we're a part of the brokenness. We are a part of the problem. And, and just because you're right about certain things does not mean that you're not still a, mm-hmm. a, a part of this issue that's going on in all of creation, humanity. And yeah. God is desiring to do something about it. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I think that might be one of the reasons we sit here together is I think if I were to, to be harsh on, on the church um, is one of the things that has been sacrificed in the service of being right is being a place where hurting and broken people can come. Mm. And so uh, that they would no longer go to a church. They would seek out someone else. And so we, you know, you have this, and that's not the only reason psychotherapy has developed. Like there's other reasons, but I think, I think that one's in there um, is that we stopped, we stopped being a people that were focused on seeking the broken and the brokenhearted and doing something about it, seeking the poor and the downtrodden and the oppressed and doing something about it. Instead, I, I like how you said that we took up arms in the great testing and said, let's take it upon ourselves to, to do this. And man, that story is right. We fall asleep. We can't hang. We're all there. <laughs> right. We, we, we are overly impulsive and violent. Like 
the path is to seek out your neighbor, to seek out those who are broken and hurting and do something about it. Show up. Yeah, and I think it's not? because if we're, if we're taking up arms, we're not empathizing with, with others, with the reality that I am right where you are, you know, mm-hmm. and we're, we're losing touch with what, again, what I believe is the way towards ex- like the encounter with truth and transformation of life into flourishing. Mm-hmm. But, but when we co-opt that process and we think we have to wage that war, we, d- we disconnect ourselves from the reality that we are, we are a part of the broken. But when I go back there, when I recognize that I'm broken, you know, I have my own stuff that, and I've hurt people and I've made poor decisions mm-hmm. and I've caused my the times in my world for it not to flourish. And I've harmed creation and I've made poor decisions. Like when, when I lose sight of that, I, I hurt people around me when I, and when I mm-hmm. lean into that reality, what it does is, is it reminds me of my desperate need for an answer, a desperate need for a solution, which I believe is found in Jesus alone. And mm-hmm. that's hard to quantify because it is, it, it is something that we, we can encounter with our minds, but also, it's also mystical. This is, we're yeah. talking about an, a relationship with God. Yeah. But when you have that encounter in the mystery of brokenness, I become desperate for something to change in my life. When I experience mm-hmm. change, I become equally desperate to want other people to have the same experience, you know? Yeah. And, and and from my perspective, that would also, a way to explain that would be, you know, it's, it's rooted in transformation and connection. Um, You know, and and I know we have to finish here, but you know, we live in a harsh world where war is real and we're not speaking to an aspect of that. But I think what we're speaking to is that, you know, we can make war more likely. We can make hell more likely if we ignore this. Um, if we if we follow good, bad, right, wrong, and and we can we can do something about it in our world right here um, by by following that path. So, man, this is good stuff. We'll have to we'll have to hit pause now. Thank you yeah. so much for joining us and listening with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, and so feel free to interact with us as we post this on uh, YouTube and social media. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to join us. And uh, John, it's been great. Good to see you. Yeah, again, I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation. It felt like a little dangerous. <laughs> like, we're, okay. oh, buddy, Wait here we in. go. Like, yeah. what do we talk about? But that's really what we, we are hoping to have, right? You said it well, just to be authentic. And I hope to that our podcast invites some, you know, you listeners out there to to feel a little better about perpetuating a world where we can believe and think differently, and yet come together and have constructive conversation mm-hmm. that that would be with our, each other's mutual interest in mind to yeah. encourage flourishing. You know, I want to grow. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to wrestle with these deep and hard and complex things that we're struggling with as a human race that we're struggling with as a world. And we hope the podcast is a place that we can be free to have some harder conversations and and, try to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome stuff, but good Good conversation today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you listener for joining us and we invite you to subscribe and then join us again next time as we continue staring into the sun. Grace and peace, everybody. The way we find ourselves. Sun.